So I know that Doug had mentioned a men's breakfast yesterday, and it was a good time, a lengthy discussion, a very, very good discussion and challenging as we talked with each other and um, outside and uh, met out back here and sat around in our lawn chairs and, and just a very good discussion. Um, but at one point, Doug had to run over to his truck and get his glasses. And and so when he came back to get his glasses because he was going to read something out of the Bible, and, of course, we're all laughing and joking, and, you know, it's like, oh, doesn't it? It stinks to be as old as Doug where you have to have your glasses to read. And, and in all seriousness, I mean, Doug and I are the same age. So it, it was all in fun joking around. But as we were singing and worshiping and we're singing that last song, and I'm looking and I'm squinting because normally I sit up front, but I was in the back today, and I'm squinting to try and read the words. And I said, oh, I need Doug's glasses. I can't. I'm old like Doug. I can't even see the screen. And so, so, so Doug, forgive me for yesterday because I got my paybacks today. But, but it, in, in all highlight, in all highlight, then I was thinking, next week I could stand in the back and I could just turn around and look at the back wall because there'll be a projector on the back wall and I could just turn around and look and it'll be real close and I'll be, <laughs> I'll have to face the other way. But, uh, I was in the back and I was just remembering, I was like, oh, we were making fun of Doug yesterday and, um, and so, this, so it fits in, so forgive me, Doug, and I know you do forgive me. Uh, because we're going to talk about forgiveness this morning, and, and I'm going to go down a path that um, maybe at the end of the day you're going to say, Ralph, you're crazy, and that's not what the, God's Word says, and I'm not buying it, and I'm not sitting with you on that. Or maybe you'll have your eyes opened up a little bit, and you'll say, that's deep, and i gotta, I got to really do some reflecting and so we're going to allow God's Word to speak today. I'm going to use Scripture verses that I know that Jesus spoke about, um, that He talked about, but it's not a subject that we talk about all the time um, in regards to forgiveness. And so hopefully you have your Bibles and you turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. Um, if you're watching this on the Internet and you pick this up later, I encourage you to watch to the end uh, because and to stick with this right to the end. I encourage us here in this in this gym this morning to hang with us right to the end and to understand what God wants us wants to say to us and where God wants us to be as followers of Jesus Christ and the message that he wants to put into our hearts. So I'm going to be reading from Matthew uh, chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. I know my translation will be a little bit different than what's up on the screen, but God's word is true. Matthew chapter 18, starting at verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him ten thousand talents was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. And the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. And the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. 
and he grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me. And I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay back the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have, mer- had, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I know this passage of Scripture has a lot to say to each and every one of us. Messages about your salvation and about your forgiveness for us, but also a very deep message on how we are to be a forgiving people. So I do ask that you speak to our hearts and our minds. May our hearts and minds be focused on your word, that we hear from you, because we know that you will speak to us. Thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness. May we learn how to forgive today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, last week we talked about love. And I used some of the, the words from First John for 7 and 8. And about that little um, jingle, that little Sunday school course about, but, you know, brothers, let us love one another. And, and it's a reflection of our love for God. So, if I have love for God, then I should have love for one another. And if I don't have love for one another then I really don't have love for God. And so there's a two-way aspect to that in our Christian lives. And that's pretty hard to swallow sometimes because for us sometimes to love somebody else becomes very difficult. Yet it is where God wants us to be. And this week I'm going to go to the subject of forgiveness, and we're going to find this subject to be very similar to the subject we talked about last week in regards to love and where our lives are impacted by forgiveness And because of that, we have forgiveness in our lives for others. Unfortunately, when we're looking at the virtues in our lives and the one of forgiveness, it's one of those that is quite often dropped on the sideline of life when we're ready to run out into the field of battle. Um, It's one thing to run out when you're going to get nose-to-nose with somebody and have a very deep, heated discussion and let somebody know what you think. Give them a piece of your mind. By the way, when you give them a piece piece of your mind, you're never going to get that piece back. So... Hold on to little bits of your mind that you have. Don't give people peace of your mind. But anyway, when you run into that heated discussion and you're ready to go nose to nose with somebody and let them know what you think, we don't often take love and we often don't take forgiveness into that battle. We drop them on the sideline. And after we have the nose to nose conversation, after we have the email exchange, after whatever the, whatever it is, the telephone call, when we go back, we dare not pick up love and forgiveness on the sideline and we let them be because we want to stew over it. We want to mull over it. We want to um, grind over it and really, um, you know, we know we let the other person have it and so let them have it. 
And why should there be any forgiveness in that conversation? Yet, this is a place where God doesn't ask us. This is not a request from God. God demands of his followers that we walk in forgiveness. And he demands that each of us live with forgiveness in our lives. And so before we get to this parable that Jesus gave to us in Matthew uh, chapter 18, I want us to dive in a little bit about the subject of forgiveness and set the scene for this parable for us to understand how we got to verse 21 and we got to Peter's statements. Uh, so it's a place where we, we can get and we can understand. And the prophet Amos, and i got to jump back to the Old Testament to the prophet, prophet Amos. Amos, in chapter uh, 1, verse 3, we have the words, For three sins of Damascus, even for four, I will not relent. Now this is God speaking through the prophet Amos, and he says, For the three sins of Damascus, even four, I will not relent. And as we look at the, those verses, as we look at what God says there, the Jewish people picked this up as a way of life for them. They picked it up and said, well, if God's going to speak this way to Damascus and for three sins, for three sins of Damascus, even four, and then from there, I will not relent. They said, if you offend me, I will forgive you. And if you offend me two times, I will forgive you. And if you offend me three times, I will forgive you. And the fourth, we get really iffy. I'm not so sure anymore. Because for three sins of Damascus, for three sins of Damascus, even for four, I will not relent. So at that point when they hit four, God's not going to relent. And the Jewish people, in Peter's day, as he brings this statement to Jesus, that was the standard. You could offend somebody and they would very quickly forgive you. But once you got up into four, the forgiveness wasn't there. At that point, at that point, hey, it was good enough for Damascus and it's good enough for you. I am not forgiving you anymore. God didn't say we had to forgive any more than that, because that's the way God forgave, so we're not going to go beyond that. And so that's enough. And that was the standard of forgiveness they walked through. But if we jump back to Matthew chapter 18, verse 1, we get a little bit of a context of where we're going, where at that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked the question, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Basically, they were posturing and they were, they were jockeying for who is going to be the number two guy. So, Jesus, if you're the number one guy, you are the king, you are going to be the greatest in heaven, who's going to be your number two guy? And here we have the 12 apostles, the followers of Jesus, who are saying, I want to be, I want to be next in line. I want to be, I want to be the vice president. I want to be the chief of staff. I, I, want to, I want to sit at your right and sit at your left. I want to be up there. And so the disciples are jockeying back and forth and shouldering to see, you know, Jesus, which one of us is going to be the most important? You know, which one are you going to really lift up on high to be right there with you, that your number one guy, that you're, your go-to guy that you're going to go? And so with this, they start to stew about this and... and Jesus doesn't really give them a direct answer. He, he goes on with a lot of different things for them in this context. He talks to them about, about little children. And unless they became like little children, that they would not inherit the kingdom of God. And they talked about uh, woe to people who would cause children to sin uh, and to be able to not put things in other people's lives that would cause them to sin and to stumble. And he talked to them about the parable of the lost sheep and how important it was when somebody was lost to go and find them and to bring them back into the fold. And he talked about uh, sin against a brother. 
and where your brother sins against you, what you should do and how you should carry that out. Uh, one of my pet peeve scripture verses where two or three of you come together in my name, there I am with you. Keep in mind, that's talking about when a brother sins against you and you bring it to reconciliation, thus God is with you because you brought that sin to reconciliation. Uh, so whenever you say, you know, where two or three of us are gathered together, remember, we're, we're talking about sin brought together for reconciliation. A whole other sermon, a whole other day. But he talks about all of these subjects, and Peter's still stewing. And Peter says, man, these guys, I, I should be number one. And John shouldn't be number one. Why should he be number one? And, and he's going through. Hey, Philip, man, I'm more important than Philip. And so they're jockling back and forth and... Then he goes to Jesus with the question, look, how many times do I got to forgive? I, I, should I forgive? And he straightens up his shirt a little bit. Should I forgive seven times? Now, remember what the standard was. The standard was three, maybe four. And here is Peter still jockeying for position. And he says, how many times should we forgive? Look at me, Jesus. I'm willing to go to seven. That's your perfect number, God. That's your perfect number, Jesus. I mean, you created the world in seven days. And here I am, and I'm willing to go above the standard. And he sort of puffs his shirt up and straightens a little bit. And I'm willing to go to seven. And Jesus looks back on me and says, Oh, Peter. Oh, Peter. Oh, you didn't get the picture yet. You didn't get the message yet, Peter. And that's how we get to this subject of forgiveness, where Jesus starts to answer him, I tell you, not seven times. It's where Peter must have really been thrown for a loop. Not seven times, but 77 times. And some translations say 70 times seven times, 490 times. Peter, there's no ticker. There's no little counter. You don't start the day with zero, 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 zero on your, on your forgiveness clicker. And as you go through the day, oh, I had to forgive him once. Oh, I had to forgive him. Only up to two. Had to forgive him again. Had to forgive him again. And then you get the clicker. Oh, no, I'm only up to six. Had to forgive him again. I'm up to seven. And, and God says, put the clicker away. And that's what he's trying to get Peter to understand. And that's the message that we have for us today. Is he's trying to get us to understand that we have to put that clicker away and stop counting how many times we forgive a person. And it doesn't matter how many times they've offended us. We keep on forgiving. And this subject gets a lot deeper when we start to look into Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 is where we would find the Lord's Prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer. And I'm going to jump to Matthew 6 because I want us to understand what God says starting in verse 12. And we say the Lord's Prayer and, you know, hallowed be your name, thy kingdom come, your will be done. You get down into verse 12 and depending on your translation, Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. You can say, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's a wonderful prayer to pray. Now, I want to bring that into the current day. Forgive us our debts as we forgive the, our debtors, or forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. I can bring it into the modern day and say, in modern language and say, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Or forgive us our offenses. Forgive us our offenses, Lord, because sin is when we offend God. So, God, forgive us our offenses as we forgive those who offend us. 
Lord, forgive us our wrongs, the things that I do wrong. Lord, forgive us our wrongs as we forgive those who wrong us. That's hard enough to do. And that's right in, in the Lord's Prayer. In the prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray. And, and it is right there. And we're saying to God, God, forgive me as I forgive those other people as well. But the, the language gets a lot harder. And this is the part that we really need to wrestle about and where we need to wrestle with our parable as we walk through it this morning. And the next verses in Matthew chapter 6 is where if this gets really difficult for each and every one of us. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Now, that's hard. It gets harder. Verse 15. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, I don't know where you're at in your theology, your understanding of God. And we can talk about the grace of God and the forgiveness that comes because of Jesus Christ dying for us on the cross. And we can talk about that all day long and talk about God's grace. But I know I talked about this last week. There's a big difference in our spiritual lives between a transaction where we go to God and say, God, forgive me because I don't want to go to hell. And there's a big difference between that transactional process of just saying, I don't want to go to hell, so I want God. There's a big difference between that and saying, I want God to transform my life and change my life and turn me into who God wants me to be. And that's when the verses of Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15 really strike home in our lives. Because if God is going to forgive me, then I must find myself forgiving others. No matter what the offense is, no matter what the wrong is, no matter what the situation is, I must find myself forgiving others. Because God, Jesus himself said... But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And that's something we have to wrestle with. That's something even if I stop right here and say, if you had a piece of paper and a pen in your hand right now and had to start writing out of the people that you are offended against, the people that from third grade, little Joey stole my lunch, and I still remember it to today. Now, I have to write it down because little Joey stole my lunch, and I'm going to write down Joey stole my lunch, and I never forgave him. Or Frankie did this when I was in fourth grade, and in ninth grade, this. All the different offenses in our life. When I was 25 years old, I remember when so-and-so said this about me and that was a lie and they told a whole bunch of people about this and that was a bull-faced lie and I can't believe he spread that lie. And I have my list. And all of us have our mental list of the people that have offended us, who have wronged us, who have sinned against us. And are we maintaining that list? And as we get to the end of this parable, I hope we can burn the list. We've got to get to a place in our Christian walk where the salvation of God transforms us so we can actually find ourselves being a forgiven people. And that is what God calls us to be and who God calls us to be. To get there, I want us to go back into the parable that Jesus taught. He didn't just give us this parable because he thought it would be a nice thing to tell us a nice story. He gave us the parable so we can learn something from it and for us to be able to be equipped as his followers to move forward. 
And so I want us to dig into that parable. And right before I do, I want to go to Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. Paul says, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Paul does not say, Be a bear with one another. He says, Bear with one another. Carry each other's burdens. Put up with one another. Tolerate one another. Forgive one another, just as the Lord forgave you. So let's jump into the parable. And we need to get there. Uh, we're going to start out and talk about a subject that I call settled forgiveness. And it's the whole first section of the parable in the first verses, verses 23 through 27. And we get the first snippet of this story. And we get this uh, short little story of settled forgiveness where, as this story goes, a servant owes, owes a lot of money. And the, the king is settling his account. The king in our story, we can relate to God. And, and we're talking about God's forgiveness for us. And so this servant owes a lot of money. The king calls him in. The master calls him in and says, you owe all of this money. You owe 10,000 talents. And you have to pay it off. I'm going to sell your wife. I'm going to sell your kids. I'm going to throw you in jail. I'm going to, you have to do everything you can to pay this back. I'm going to make you sell the shirt off your back, the shoes off your feet, everything we can sell. And, and you have to pay off this debt. Now, I want you to understand that no matter what this man does, it would take him about 200,000 years. Do you got the number? 200,000 years at a daily wage to pay it off. And when I say a daily wage, I'm talking a man who is out there making $10 an hour. That was the average servant rate wage. Out there making $10 an hour, he had, he'd have to work for the next 200,000 years to make this $4 billion and pay off that debt. I don't know how much this guy owned, but I don't care how much they sold his wife for, his children for, his clothes for, and everything that the Scripture talks about of selling it all off to pay off that debt. There is no way this man could ever pay off the debt. It is too massive. It is too large. It is beyond all comprehension, way beyond my comprehension. And he's not going to be able to pay it off. Yet, as the story goes, he begs and pleads begs and pleads to be patient with him. I will pay back everything, he says. Now the master knows he can't pay it back. The servant knows he can't pay it back. And yet, we have this settled forgiveness in verse 27, where the servant's master takes pity on him and cancels the debt and lets him go. It's all a picture of settled forgiveness. In Colossians chapter 2, it's not an accident that Paul uses the same words of canceling our debt. He uses the words, he forgave us all our sins. He forgave us all our sins. Picking up in Colossians 2.14, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away and nailed it to the cross. Paul actually takes from this parable, which he most likely did not even hear, and uses the same words of canceling a debt in Colossians 2.14. That our sin debt is canceled. And when you pull them together, you understand this is not just a story about a man who owed a lot of money and had it paid off. This is a story about our sinfulness and how great it is and how vast it is and how much sin we had to have forgiven. This story is each and every one of us. Everybody that is in this room, everybody that is on the earth today, anyone who will hear this sermon, anyone who will ever read Matthew 18, is the servant in this story. You and I are the servant in the story. 
Each and every one of us individually. And the master is God. And that $4 billion debt, that 200,000 years, 200,000 years of paying it off, we can't pay off our sin debt. There is nothing we can do. That sin debt is so large. And the only thing we can do is understand how large our sin debt is and cry out to God and say, Have mercy on me, a sinner. God forgive me. And we understand the massive amount of sin debt that we have and understand that it is only God who can forgive it and cancel that indebtedness. And it's only because of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins then we're willing to come to God and say, God forgive me, have mercy on me, a poor sinner. Then we start to truly know that settled forgiveness. We really start to truly understand how vast and enormous, how huge our sin debt is and what was, has been canceled for us when God set us free. With settled forgiveness, we have to look at our own reaction. And using our, our, our parable as, as an illustration, if you owed somebody $4 billion and you walked into the bank and you owed $4 billion because of some crazy business loans and whatever else it may be, and you walked into the bank and you said, I'm sorry, I know my payment's due today, but I have this $4 billion and I, and I don't have anything. I can't make the payment. And the bank just looks at you and says, it's forgiven. The debt's canceled. Let's rip up the mortgage. The debt's canceled. What would your reaction be walking out of that bank? I wouldn't leap for joy. I would float for joy. I don't think I would walk on the pavement from the bank to my car. I would float in the air across the pavement. I would be so filled up with excitement and joy because the bank just forgave me, forgave me of $4 billion. And that's what Jesus did for us. And so again, what is our reaction when we understand the forgiveness, the settled forgiveness that comes from God? And with this, and with our story, we don't experience just a nice transaction when we say, yes, I want to follow Jesus. We, we experience a transformational process where God is starting to change us from the inside out. We walk away with joy. You know, if we're forgiven and we walk away with joy and then we just turn back to our old ways, we will fall away. If we're forgiven of our sin debt and we allow the worries of life to come in and deceitfulness of wealth, choke it, we won't have forgiveness and we'll fall away. It's only when forgiven of our sin debt, hearing the Word of God, understanding the Word of God, and going out and living out the Word of God, including forgiveness, do we find ourselves where God wants us to be. The man in our parable this morning, somehow he fell among those previous things where the canceling of that sin debt really never sunk into his heart. The reason I know it never sunk into his heart is because we go on from settled forgiveness. And we get to this unsettling ferociousness in the next verses. Without any consideration for what happened in his life, we get down into verse 28. Without any consideration at all, and we'll look at verse 28 through 31 at this unsettled ferociousness that he had. He goes out and he finds somebody that owes him three months. Three months of wages. $5,000. Putting it in today's context. Here is a man who owes this servant. Another servant owes him $5,000. dollars $5, I should have gone to the bank and got $5,000 out just so you can see how big it is. It's only $5,100 bills. $5,100 bills. 
Do you know you can take $5,100 bills and you just fold them up and you can put them in your front pocket? I feel really important. I've got $50,000, $5,000 in my pocket, you know. That was the debt. Do you know how big $4 billion, how big $4 billion is? If I took those same $100 bills and I stacked them right next to each other, I would go from here to Newville. Three miles. Three miles of $100 bills stacked up. If I did it with dollar bills, it would be 300 miles. But with $100 bills, three miles of debt. That's what he was forgiven. And he's upset at the man who owes him a little bit of pocketful of debt. Now, I'm giving you that contrast because we see this story and we don't have a lot of mercy for the servant. I don't have a lot of mercy for the servant. He was just forgiven this huge mass of debt. It was wiped out. And yet we get to this next section of our passage of Scripture. And he picks the guy up by the throat and he's choking the guy for his tiny, little, minuscule, puny, microscopic debt. And Jesus is trying to get us to see something here. He's trying to get us to see on one side our sin debt to God was so massive. Three miles long, stacked up. And yet we're worried about someone who offended us because they ate our lunch out of the refrigerator at work. And we're going to rip and tear for the next three weeks and leave nasty notes of how bad they are. We will stay up at night till 2 o'clock in the morning worrying about it. And God's trying to get us to see this picture. Do you understand? It was massive, and then you can barely see it. And that's what God is trying to get the message of forgiveness in our lives. When we can get the picture of how massive the forgiveness was in the first section, in the settled forgiveness, then we can get and understand this unsettling ferociousness, ferociousness that comes about in our story in the next section. We can take the story and bring that contrast into our lives. Do we truly understand the depth of our sin and the vastness of it? Do we truly grasp the work of Jesus Christ on the cross for forgiving us? To have the immense and vast forgiveness of God touch our lives where all of our sins are washed away. All of us washed away and we are cleansed and we are made new. And we have... And when we have no intention of forgiving someone who has offended us, when we have no intention of forgiving someone who has trespassed against us, how do we even dare? How do we even dare say the Lord's Prayer? Forgive us our trespasses. When I have no intention of forgiving those who trespass against me. We don't say the Lord's Prayer like that. Forgive us our trespasses, because I have no intention of forgiving those who trespass against us. And that's what we have in the unsettled ferociousness in this second part of our passage. And Lord, only the Lord can help us to get beyond that part of our unforgiveness in our lives. No matter how large the offense, no matter how large the offense is in your life, 
If you've been running down your list for the last 20 minutes, no matter how large the offense is in your life, it is minuscule compared to what God has done for you in giving you forgiveness. Do you understand the contrast? And I know some people have been hurt really bad. Atrocious. Unspeakable things have happened in people's past. Things that are so shameful we can't even talk about them. Yet no matter how terrible it is, it's minuscule. It's minuscule compared to the forgiveness of God. And that's what comes out in this second passage of the Scripture. We have this settled forgiveness in the first part, and we have this unsettled ferociousness in the second. But then we fall into this dangerous part, the part that rocks our world, in the third. And it's a settled finality. Verses 32 to 34 give us the final answer from the Master. I don't like the final answer from the Master. I don't know about you. But the final answer from the Master was, the unforgiving servant was going to be done away with. He's going to be thrown in jail until he could pay off his debt 200,000 years. The man wouldn't even live 200,000 years. He'd never be able to pay off his debt. And that's what this parable is teaching us. He would never, ever, ever pay off that debt. And it's a settled finality where he calls the servant back and he throws him into to the jailers to be tortured until he pays everything back. Tortured. I mean tortured for all eternity. It's a picture of hell. It's a picture of what awaits us when we don't have the forgiveness of God. Ready for this? It's a picture that awaits us if we don't have forgiveness for others. we got to wrestle with that. The settled finality for the unforgiving servant gives us a twist in this story. See, if I go back a little bit and flip my page back, verse 27 said the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. I flip the page and I say, in anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Same story. Only a couple verses apart, and Jesus is telling it. And I think it goes back to what Jesus said. If I flip my pages back and go back to Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus said, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That doesn't sit in the throat real well. It doesn't sit in the heart real well. And yet I know, to make this even more difficult, I can go back to Matthew chapter 18, verse 23, and says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like. So I can't even say this is a nice story. Because Jesus himself said the kingdom of heaven is like this. And so it puts no doubt to me that there is a spiritual principle at work in this parable. A spiritual principle that we need to face head on. Big Mac truck coming right at us. Peterbilt, whatever you want to choose favorite truck and it's coming at us head on and we got to deal with it we got to deal with it with the reality 
that the settled finality in our story is one where the forgiveness of God never took root in this man's life. He, he walked away having his debt canceled and turned his back to it and said, Wow, I, I, I pulled one over on the king. I pulled one over on my master. I got out of trouble. And his desire wasn't to serve the master. His desire was, I just got out of trouble. And it came back around in a full circle because the forgiveness that was given to him never hit his heart. It was just something that happened, a transaction. He made a deal with his master. Keep me out of trouble and thank you, you got me out of trouble. Now I'm going to go back and I'm going to just live my life out the way that I lived it out before. And the master expected something out of that servant. He expected a transformation in his life. He expected his heart to change because he received forgiveness in a massive amount. Thus he would carry it forward and forgive others. And that's the transformation that is to occur in our lives. The lack of forgiveness in our servant, lack of the forgiveness in our lives, becomes a mirror reflecting back of our understanding of God's forgiveness for our lives. You see the connection between the two? When I grasp how big God's forgiveness is for me, it makes it so easy to forgive the small things that are in perspective to the forgiveness of my sin to others. But if I have lack of forgiveness for those small things in my life that touch my life, it's reflective of my lack of understanding of what God's real forgiveness is for my life. And we need to reconcile the two and bring them back together. So what do we do with all of this? What do we do with all of this? I got a fish tank at home. I said, I want to get fish. We got fish and they all died. I don't know why. Because we're not good at taking care of pets. Poor little fish. So we got more fish. So we tried again. This time we went with cheaper ones, easier to take care of. The goldfish kind. They're getting big. They're huge. But when we got the tank, tried to understand what we need to do and do it right. So, you know, cheap Ralph did spend the money to get a little pH test for the water. You know, didn't want to. Man, it, and it got the little, you know, pH balance fluid stuff that you put in the water. I didn't want to. That stuff's expensive. You know, but we got it anyway. And every once in a while, you take out this little paper strip and you put it in the water and you swish it around for so many seconds. Just I think it's like two or three swishes. And then you take it and you hold it for 30 seconds. And you wait and you wait and you wait. And after 30 seconds, you look at it. And if the color is the right color on the strip, and you look at the bottle and it says, yep, your pH level is good for those cheap old goldfish. And so now you know the pH level is good. And you test the water. Make sure it's good. And if it's not, you increase the pH or you decrease it with the little chemicals you have, the little couple drops, and you make it better for the fishies. God comes to our lives. And he takes passages from Matthew 18, verses from Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15, and he dangles them into the tank of our life. And he says, yeah, I'm not seeing a lot of forgiveness. Where's the forgiveness? 
And the only way that changes that is to start back at the beginning. It's to go back to the cross. To go back to the cross and understand that Jesus Christ forgave us. Because Jesus gave us a very firm warning in the last verse of Matthew 18. A very firm warning. He says, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. That's stern. That's firm. But I also know that it's because of the grace of God and the forgiveness of God that our hearts are changed. And so I can't dance around the lack of forgiveness in my life or anyone else's life. I can't cut this piece of passage out of the Bible and say, just live your life how you want. It's God's Word and God said it. I trust it and I believe it. And God puts it there and says, you've got to get a little of that pH balance increase into your life and pour a little bit of more forgiveness in there. Because you don't have enough right now. That's what God wants to do in each of our lives. We come back to the cross and we start back at the beginning. We go back to that square one and it is there that we reach out to God in His grace and His mercy and His restored relationship to us. And we ask God to make that change in us. We realize that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit and we are forgiven by the grace of God. And God, if there's anything in my life that where there's any lack of forgiveness, God, change, change the heart. Change the heart so we can be more like Christ. And that's where God wants us to be. Practically, how do we do it? Take it to God in prayer. If you are harboring hurts and pains, lack of forgiveness, take it to God in prayer and ask God, God, what do you want me to do? God, change my heart so I can forgive that person. I want to forgive them, but I'm struggling to forgive them and come clean with God. You say, God, change my heart so I can forgive them. Don't hold the grudge. Don't sit on something and... Let it stew. Take it to God. Practically, sit down with a pen and paper and write that list out. Write that list out of the people that I need to forgive. Joey for stealing my lunch. Mary for stealing my lunch out of the refrigerator, even though we're both 55 years old. Write them down. Write down the list. Here are the people that I need to forgive. How, uh, however atrocious they are, however hurtful they are, however painful they are, write them out. And then pray over the list. And when you're done, find the closest shredder and shred the list. Take it out back to your burn barrel and burn the list. Rip it up in little pieces and let it in the hands of God to change your heart. Lastly, and only if you know that God is leading you this direction... Go and find that person. Let them know what your hurt is. Let them know what your pain is. And let them know that you have forgiveness. And I say lastly, don't go running around Newville and opening up wounds that don't need to be opened up. Sometimes people have offended us and they don't even know they've offended us. And if we go and jump into that situation, all we're going to do is rip open a wound, and you don't want to rip open that wound. 
cause more strife and you'll cause a stumbling block in their lives. And Scripture tells us to not do it. So I ask you to trust God and reach out to God. But above all, find a way to forgive. It's what God called us to. It's one of those little litmus tests, the little strip in the fish tank. And our forgiveness is a reflection of what God has done for us. What do we do? Keep going back to the cross. Keep forgiving. Why? God demands it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, forgiveness is not easy. And I know it's just one of the realities of life as we walk through life. There are things that offend us and things that bother us and things that trouble us. And with it, we harbor hurts and pains and concerns and keep list of offenses. And you call us to be a people that are forgiving. We read beautiful stories of people who have forgiven terrible things. We sometimes scratch our heads and say, how in the world could they forgive? And yet that truly is a, re- a reflection of who you are. So, Lord, change our hearts. Heal our hurts and pains. Help us to hear from heaven of how we can forgive. Lord, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Give us the strength to do so. You are our God. You're the one who empowers us with your Holy Spirit. And we will do this because you called us to. Thank you for this day in your house. We thank you for this Lord's Day where we can worship you and serve you. We thank you for continuing to make us into who you want us to be. Be with us. Keep us as we travel through the week. Protect us in our journeys. Help us to continue to hold on to the hope that we have before us. We will someday rejoice with you for all eternity. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful, a glorious week.